0: Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and thank you that your spirit is with us. And we pray that you give us grace to apply your word to our hearts and to our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, as we begin, perhaps you could um, just bring to mind for a moment a special meal, a time when you enjoyed a particularly special meal. I wonder what it was that you would think of if I say that and what it was that made it special. Was it the food? Um, or was it the setting? Was it the people who were there? And they're actually all important, aren't they? Um, sometimes people say to me, as I'm sure they've said to you, what's your favourite food? It's the kind of question children like to ask, isn't it, quite often. And one of the things that always comes to mind for me is mussels. I love mussels. And uh, my favourite meal is probably moule frites and with a cold beer. But I have to say, when I imagine that in my mind's eye, It's not just the food, it's sitting in the French cafe, preferably overlooking the beach with my family and friends that make that meal special. That's my perfect meal. Uh, Or when did you last go to a party, I wonder? I wonder what comes to mind for that one. Perhaps you've been to a birthday party, uh, maybe a wedding celebration, or I don't know, whatever kind of party it might be, retirement party. Um, Today in Luke's Gospel, as we continue our journey through these last few days of Jesus' life on earth, We're thinking about a meal that points to a party. The meal that we often call the Last Supper. They're on page 1057. And again, if you could keep that open for a few minutes, that would be great. Um, It's Jesus' final meal, isn't it, on earth, as he sits down with his disciples to eat in that upper room somewhere in the city of Jerusalem. One last time, shortly before he is arrested. It's a meal that Jesus has been passionately looking forward to. And we can see in verses 8 to 13 how it's all been planned out in detail, hasn't it? In advance, he tells his friends who go to prepare it exactly what they will find. He knows what he's up to. For him, this was the moment, most of all, when he's going to explain to his friends in words and in actions what it is that he's about to do and what it will mean for them. And of course, as we heard, it's also a meal, isn't it, which is set in the context of betrayal. Our passage begins and ends with Judas. First in verses 2 to 6, as we hear about his plot with the chief priests to betray Jesus. And then in verses 21 to 23, as we see that Jesus is fully aware of this, even while the rest of the disciples are still confused about what's going on. The words at the heart of this passage are so familiar to us, aren't they? This is my body. Given to you. The cup of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. They're words that we use on such a regular basis, aren't they? They form the basis for what we do whenever we share the bread and wine together in what we now call the Lord's Supper. So let's just briefly have a closer look at what is going on at this meal, which gets us to look outwards, to look backwards, but also to look forwards. First of all, it's a meal that looks out. You look at verses 7 to 14. um, If you are having that perfect party, that ideal meal that you imagined, uh, who would you want to invite there? Who would be your perfect guest? Again, I wonder who springs to mind for you. Is it family? Is it friends? Is it people you haven't seen for a long time? Is it that famous person you'd really like to meet but never have? The meal that Jesus is sharing here with his disciples, it's a very particular kind of meal, isn't it? And you can hardly miss this in our reading. If the word mercy is cropped up five times in that hymn we've just sung. uh, Did you notice the word which is, I think it's six times in this passage. Passover. Verse 1, a festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching. Verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread, on which a Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Verse 8, Jesus sends Peter and John to make preparations for them to eat this Passover. They're to pass on the message, verse 11. Where is the guest room where, uh, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? In verse 13, they prepare for the... And then finally, while they're reclining at the table, Jesus tells them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Six times, Luke tells us, it's a Passover meal. I think he wants us to notice this, don't you? And it's significant. Um, You may be experts on the Passover, I don't know. Um, It was the annual celebration, still is, um, among Jews today. the, the, The celebration and commemoration of God's rescue of his people under Moses from Pharaoh in Egypt, all those centuries before Jesus. And God's means of rescuing his people, if you know the story, was through a feast, a special meal, In which the angel of the Lord passed over the houses of all those families who had painted the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. You can read all about it in Exodus chapter 12. And so this meal was marked every year in every household in Israel, this family meal which marked the remembrance of what God had done for his people. Now Jesus' last supper was a surprising Passover in a number of ways. And the first is probably, who was there? Because the Passover was by definition a household meal. It was a family meal. When you read Exodus 12, that was how the Passover worked. Every household uh, needed to kill the lamb and paint the blood. Uh, And if um, that was too much, because there weren't enough people in the house, there were instructions about how different houses could combine together and and share uh, the, the meat. But it was a reminder. How God saved his people, family by family, household by household. The firstborn of each of those households being saved. But in verse 14, here is Jesus. He's reclining to eat the Passover meal with his friends, uh, with the disciples, the apostles. Now, I don't want to stretch the point too far here, not least because uh, it's quite possible, maybe even probable, that at least some of those disciples with Jesus were actually related to him. Some of them may have been his actual cousins, as far as we could tell. But at the same time, there surely is a significance in Jesus eating this Passover with his friends. Um, Given all the other things Jesus has said about his family in the Gospels. So back in chapter 8 of Luke, he said, My mother and my brothers are all those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Given that Jesus has said this, perhaps we shouldn't be surprised that at the key moment, just before his death, Jesus gathers a group of his friends those who have believed his words, those who have followed him. And he invites them to join this special meal in which he is saying to them, this is what I'm going to do for you, you who are my family. And that's one thing we need to remember every time we come to the Lord's table to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because we are those who believe in Jesus. And if that is who we are, we are also his family. He counts us as sisters and brothers, and it's one of the things that this supper he shares with his disciples, as well as the food we share this morning, points us to. And so we should regard one another in that way, too. Just look around you for a moment, would you? I don't mean at the, at the building, beautiful though it is, at the people, beautiful though they are. Uh, these people here in church this morning, Jesus says to us, uh, you are brothers and sisters, Uh, You are my brothers and sisters, and the meal that we share is perhaps the most powerful way in which he communicates that to us. It's a meal which gets us to look out. Secondly, this Passover meal is a meal which looks forward, verses 14 to 18, and it looks forward to the best party you've ever been invited to. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. I think often when we think about the Last Supper, uh, and we do this frequently, again, when we share bread and wine ourselves, don't we? We think about how Jesus died, and that is quite right. And we'll do that again in just a moment. But as Jesus reclined there with Peter and John and all the others, it's important to note that he was also looking forward, not just a day or two to his death and then his resurrection, but much further forward uh, to his return, the coming of the kingdom of God, to begin the biggest party the world has ever seen. I don't know what you would imagine as the best party you could be invited to, uh, what it would involve, whether you think straight away of the food or the dancing or the people, whatever it might look like for you, Actually, more than just the best party. Whatever springs to mind for you when I say, what what are the best things in life? Maybe you think about beautiful places, time you've spent with people who matter a lot to you, good relationships, things that make you happy. Whatever it might be, all of these things are just tiny hints of how wonderful it will be at the greatest party in heaven, where Jesus is the host, and everyone who believes in him is invited and welcome as his guest. And Jesus is looking forward to this as he takes the cup, gives thanks, and says in verse 17, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And even as Jesus shares the bread and wine to help his friends make sense of his death, he is looking ahead to his death very much, even in those words there, but he is also looking beyond the event of the next few days, to the eternal future. Again, we're not celebrating the last supper this morning as we celebrate communion, but it's a commemoration of that supper and of what happened afterwards. In some ways, I don't know about you, communion feels quite a solemn thing to do. Would you agree? And I think that's okay. And in many ways, that's quite right, because there is that looking back at the cost of what Jesus did. But at the same time, there should always be just a hint of a party about it too. Solemn is fine, sombre is not okay. Because that small bite of bread and that tiny sip of wine is meant to be just a foretaste of the feast that is waiting. Uh, It's a meal which gets us to look forwards. And then lastly, of course, it's a meal which looks backwards. Um, In Jesus' case, particularly back to the Passover, Of Exodus 12, when we celebrate the meal that we have this morning, there's a looking back at what Jesus has done. And this brings us back to the food itself. What is on the menu at the Last Supper here in Luke 22? Well, of course, there's bread and there's wine because they're both mentioned in the passage, aren't they? And there's a reason that they are what we share when we meet together this morning. But what was the main course at a Passover meal? I can see people saying it. Of course, it's lamb, isn't it? always lamb, because when God acted to judge Egypt and Pharaoh and rescue his people under Moses and Aaron in Exodus chapter 12, he spared Israel by the blood of those lambs painted on the doorposts of each household. Again, Luke draws our attention to this, doesn't he? Verse 7, where he says very specifically, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Luke wants us to notice this, and Jesus wants us to notice this too. But then we read about the breaking of the bread, and Jesus says, this is my body given for you. Those are sacrificial words, aren't they? And we read about the sharing of the wine, and Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Again, those are words which remind us of sacrifice. But there's no further mention of the lamb, is there? Is that strange? No, I don't think it is. It's not, because the sacrifice of the lamb in place of each firstborn son at the Passover for all of those centuries has been pointing ahead to this moment, to the one sacrifice, to the greater sacrifice of the Son of God himself, by whose blood, not just the firstborn of every household in Egypt, but the lives of everyone who believes in him will be saved. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, you might remember when John the Baptist sees Jesus going past, he says to his disciples, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And right at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, when God's reigning king, the Lion of Judah, is pictured in the vision, he is pictured as a lamb who has been slain, a sacrificed lamb. As Timothy Keller once memorably put this, at the Last Supper there is no mention of the lamb that was on the table because the lamb of God was at the table. The focus is rightly on him. This is what is about to happen, is what Jesus is saying to his disciples in this meal. When I go to the cross, I'm going to give myself as the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb to end all Passover lambs to buy your freedom from slavery. Not just slavery to Pharaoh, but slavery to sin and to death. I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is why Luke says, then came the day of unleavened bread in which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. That is what Jesus is here to do. So in conclusion... As I said earlier, all of this takes place in the context of betrayal, doesn't it? Uh, And the beginning and the end of our reading today kind of frames it in those terms. And that is also completely appropriate. Uh, On one level, all Judas is doing is providing the religious leaders uh, with a way to arrest Jesus quietly when there were no crowds around, verses 4 and 5. But there is more to what is going on than just that. And Luke draws our attention to it, doesn't he? Um, As he mentioned, Satan entering Judas in verse 3. Satan literally means the accuser. And his purpose is always to accuse Jesus of being a deceiver, a false prophet, a fake Messiah. But time and again, and in so many ways, Luke has shown us, and will continue showing us, that Jesus is completely innocent of all the charges laid against him. He is the spotless lamb. There are others who are guilty. And Jesus will now fulfill all he has come to do through being falsely accused. He wins salvation for others by taking the punishment that others deserved. Just as God had taken on the arrogance and opposition of Pharaoh in Exodus and made it serve his own purposes in rescuing his people, so now through this one man at supper with his friends God does the same thing. The powers of evil will do their worst and will crucify the one who came to bring the salvation of the world. And God uses all they can throw at him to defeat those powers and to provide rescue for sinners like you and sinners like me. He did it for us. And that is why this is the greatest meal that happened in history but it is pointing us towards one which will be even greater by God's grace. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that as you sat there at that meal with your friends, everything in history was converging upon that one moment as you were bringing together all that your father had been doing through those centuries to provide rescue and hope for your world. For those disciples in that room, and for all who would believe in you. Once again, Lord, we pray that you would fill our hearts with thankfulness as we come to share this bread and wine. Remind us that we are called and loved as your children, and invited, not on the basis of what we have done, but because of what you have done to your great feast in heaven. We ask it in your name. Amen.